0: And they said that the team veterans is basically a shoe in. We've already won. So, uh, oh man. <laughs> but uh, it's very imp- this, this is a very important trophy, and I already have one because we're going to win. <laughs> you know, this morning I did have an opportunity to meet with the uh, uh, first time we've met together for our class for the new members in the baptism, that we're going to have baptism on uh, April 22nd. And so we've got a good group that's going together through the class and talking about what's it mean to be a member of the church. And one of the things I wanted to do right up front was I wanted to hear a little bit about their background. And then I wanted to, and we didn't quite get to this because that's as far as we got, but in the next weeks we'll be, I'll be sharing a little bit about our background and the things in the history of our church and uh, the ways that God has worked among us. In fact, just in preparation for this class, I've kind of gone back and I've reviewed some things to make sure I got all the details right, but our church was started in 1935 by a pastor by the name of uh, Frank Heisdorf to reach Japanese Americans in the San Gabriel Valley. And so, After only six years of existence, the church had to close its doors because most of the members were then sent off to internment camps during World War II. And it wasn't until six years later that they were able to uh, reestablish meeting together as a church. But it is interesting to note, if you go back to our records, the membership and attendance numbers were greater after the war than before the war during a time when they weren't even meeting together. And a lot of the credit can be, uh, uh, for that can be given to the Quakers who were, came in and lived in the internment camps and really made a, a major impact through their work and their testimony. But then in 1956, an English department was formed, and we've had now 11 English pastors since then. Uh, I look at Gene Hara out here, Gene Hara's husband, Pastored our church before he passed away. And I just think of all of the faithful members that have been in our church for the, all of these years. And just more recent history, we think about how we were able to move to this property and felt uh, God's call to reach the city here. And just, I think about all of these things and how, and how God has used us so much. One of the things I'll share in the class is we'll look uh, at this book briefly a history of the OMS Holiness Conference of North America. This is our denomination. It tells about our church, and it's divided up into chapters. We have the pioneer period of the OMS Holiness Church, the war period, transition period, expansion period, renewal period. And that takes us up to, and this book was then, uh, it was then published a number of years ago, and so the history isn't quite current. And I wonder if we were to now pick up where we left off, how would, what would someone describe about our church today? If these are the periods that we have gone through, what's our current period? And I think more than anything, uh, one of the things at least that I would w- want to be a description of our church is that we are in a period where we are really devoting ourselves to prayer. I think that's I think that's super important, that we would, during this period, learn to pray. Not that we haven't prayed before, but that we would learn to, I mean, really devote ourselves to fervent prayer. It's kind of like the disciples, when they heard Jesus pray, they went before the Lord and they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. It's not like they hadn't prayed up to that point. But they heard Jesus pray, and then they see how God answered his prayers, and they say, we don't know how to pray like that. Lord, teach us to pray. And maybe that's where we are at this morning. In fact, that's what I want to impress upon us. That's where I do think we are at. We come before the Lord, and we say, God, teach us to pray. Teach us to really be a praying church. To be a church of fervent prayer that gathers frequently with the heart just to cry out to God that we might experience your power and your presence. And so is that what we really want? It's one thing to say it, but is that what we really want? Well, more than we realize, that is what our hearts crave. Our hearts long to know God's love and care. To experience his power and his presence. And that is, those things are known and experienced when we are a church of prayer. And so, with this desire to learn to pray, we're gonna begin a sermon series starting today for the next four weeks leading up to Easter on what it means to be a church of fervent prayer. And we're gonna, and the point of today's message is we are going to ask the Lord to teach us to pray. And to do that, we're going to go to the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' greatest teaching uh, on what life looks like to be lived in His kingdom. And there's a section here on prayer. We're going to look at Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8. I've entitled today's message, Learning to Pray. And so even as we read this, and even as we think about these things together in the sermon, I just Invite you, keep praying within your heart, Lord, teach us to pray, Lord, teach us to pray. Matthew 6, 5 through 8 reads this way, this is Jesus teaching, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, just even as we read this, we're very mindful that you know what we need before we ask you. That's what Jesus says here. And so we're not presenting you with any new information, God, but we're just coming before you open and humble and asking honestly that you would speak to us and we pray that you would join our hearts with your heart that we can be the church that you want us to be. And so we pray that now you would come and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. When you read this passage, you'll notice right off the top that Jesus does not like the hypocrites. That's the first thing he says. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. In other words, whatever you do, don't be like those guys. And so who are the hypocrites? Well, at other places in the Gospels, we're told that Jesus tells the Pharisees, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of that day. If you were to ask anyone who are the really spiritual people uh, at that time, they would have said, oh, it's got to be the Pharisees. They're the spiritual bigwigs. Those are the guys that look like they've got Everything together. They're the guys that got the uh, positions of prominence in the temple. And everyone looks at them and they think, Wow, I know how much he prays. And I know how much he fasts and how much he gives. And the Pharisees look like they got it all together. But you know what? Jesus doesn't just look at the outward appearance. Jesus is able to look at the heart. And when he looks at the Pharisees, he says, You guys you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You might try to make yourselves out to look so good. You put up this really good image, but you're a bunch of fakes and phonies. And I read that and I think, ouch, that hurts. And I hope that we don't resonate with this too much, but unfortunately, hypocrisy was not just a first century problem. In fact, the church today has a bad reputation of being full of a bunch of hypocrites. If you were to ask someone who doesn't go to church why they don't go, there is a good chance they'll tell you, I'm not going to go because it's full of a bunch of hypocrites. And whether that criticism is fair or unfair, it ought to at least cause us to pause and to examine our hearts and our lives, to make sure that We are not following in the path of the hypocrites. Jesus says, do not be like the hypocrites. And maybe part of the reason that we don't experience more of God's power and His presence in our midst is because our prayers are too much like the hypocrites. And so this morning we're going to look at Jesus' teaching and he talks about all of these things, and we're going to take the position of the hypocrites, and we're going to take the opposite direction. We're going to go in the opposite direction. So we're going to say, "Here are the hypocrites. Here's the contrast, the 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 uh, the opposite." And we're going to do that. And so the first thing we notice about the hypocrites in this passage is that they are prideful. And so Jesus is teaching us to pray with humility. To pray with humility in our attitudes and in the words we say. Jesus says the hypocrite stands in the synagogue and on the street corner so that he can be seen by others and he puffs himself up. He says, look at me. And with pride he wants to be recognized for his great spirituality. And in contrast, the humble person, Jesus says, go into your room, lock the door behind you, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And you know why that's a helpful practice? is because you can't worry about what anyone else thinks of you when you're all alone with God. You can't puff yourself up. You can't try to make yourself look good. You can't get filled with all kinds of pride. But you're, it's just you and the Lord. Now, the main thing that Jesus say, is saying here is not... Uh, it's you you just have to be alone when you pray otherwise we might as well cancel wednesday night or we might as well cancel our sunday morning prayer meetings in fact that's not even the practice of jesus we see jesus regularly praying with his disciples and we see him even praying in front of large groups of people before he multiplied the two fish and the five loaves of bread to feed 5000 what's he do He blesses it, and he prays to the Lord. And so the point here is not necessarily the location. It is, again, the attitude of the heart. Jesus is saying, don't pray with pride, but pray with humility. Jesus told a very similar story, and he talked about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And in this parable the Pharisee takes his position of prominence in the temple, just like we see here in the Sermon on the Mount, where everyone can see him, and he begins to pray with tremendous pride. God, I thank you that I am not like these other men, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And you can just sense the, you sense the arrogance in his voice. And then in contrast, the tax collector doesn't take a position where everyone can see him, but rather he stands at a a distance far off, and rather than puffing himself up like the Pharisee, he beats his breast and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You can sense the humility. And then notice who the Lord commends. I tell you that this man rather than the other went home, before, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So what is God calling us to do? God is calling us to humble ourselves, to come together to pray because we realize how needy we are before him, to realize that we are in a, in a position of desperation that we need him, That is the position of being humble. And so we come together to pray. Because we know we don't got it all together. And I say that as the pastor. I will be the first to admit, please pray for me. And I pray, and I pray for myself, and I pray for all of us because we need the Lord. And maybe you say, you know, I I would love to go and pray on Sunday morning, but I just don't know if I have the confidence I'd love to come to the concert of prayer and have confidence to be able to pray in front of everyone. And you know what I would say? Good. Because you're already in a position of humility. And to remember, you're not praying to the other people in the room. When we pray, we pray to the Lord. And so whether we pray aloud or silently, our prayers are lifted up to God. Prayer by definition is meant to be humbling. We pray because we need God and realize that we can't do it on our own. So when we pray, we adopt, a, we adopt this humble position. God is calling us, first of all, to pray with humility. He's calling us, second of all, to pray with honesty. God is teaching us to be honest and to be real and to be sincere with Him when we pray. Again, notice the attitude of the hypocrite. The hypocrite uh, prays, verse 7, it says, when they pray, they heap up empty phrases. They just heap up empty phrases. There's no real meaning to it. Some translations say they are babbling. It's kind of like you just say whatever uh, you want to say without any real thought about what you're saying. You know, you've got your favorite artists and you're, you've got all their songs memorized. Your mind can go completely numb and blank and you can still be able to sing the words. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you just to say things to say things, but to come before me with honesty and, uh, and with humility. And we've been in prayer meetings like this. When people are praying and it seems like they're praying just to impress others. So many, as Jesus says, empty words full of flowery religiosity. Just every big technical word you can think of, every adjective to dis- describe God. I got a kick out of this clip. This is from uh, the movie Meet the Parents. And uh, the boyfriend, Greg, goes and visits his uh, girlfriend's parents and his, uh, her parents ask him to pray before the meal. Okay, let's, this, is, this is praying not oh, with honesty.
1: Dear God, thank you You are such a good God to us, a a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, oh sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so aptly lain at our table this day and each day by day. Day by day by day, oh dear Lord, three things we pray, to love thee more dearly, to see thee more clearly, to follow thee more nearly, day by day, by day, amen. Amen. Oh, Greg, that was lovely. Thank
0: you, Greg. That was interesting, too. <laughs> <laughs> I get a kick out of that whenever I watch that. Um, but we've, we've heard prayers. You, you wonder, is this a prayer or is this a sermon? Or you wonder, are they really talking to God or are they talking to the other people in the room? And, uh, you know, I'm not one to judge prayers. I, and, in fact, as, as if I'm not the one praying aloud, I'm, I'm to be praying in my heart. And so no matter what someone is saying, I'm trying to join in with, with that prayers. But we've heard prayers that we wonder, uh, who is this person trying to impress? And again, I emphasize that when we pray, we pray to the Lord. And that, that's my challenge for us, that when we gather to pray, that we fix our hearts and our minds on the Lord Jesus. And so while I'm in the mood of making fun of prayers, uh, let me offer one more critical, one more criticism. When we pray, we don't need to fill God in on every little detail. Okay? Aunt Margaret has a doctor's appointment this Thursday at 10 o'clock a.m. to have her heart checked. The doctors are going to run a stress test and God, just in case you don't know what that is, they're going to get her heart rate up with exercise or medication and see how it responds I'm not sure which one they're going to use, so I'll have to get back to you on that. Uncle Earl will drive her to the doctor in their new Toyota Camry, and they hope to be done with, by lunch because Aunt Margaret and Uncle Earl want to use their coupon to Carl's Jr. that they got from the penny saver last Friday and will, expect, and will expire next Monday. Jesus doesn't need all those details. And I kind of exaggerate here, but when we pray, God already knows, Right? As this, chapter, as this teaching says, verse 8, your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. The purpose of prayer is not to fill God in. The purpose of prayer is to join our hearts with the Lord's heart. God already knows and He already cares far more than what we could ever care. And so when we pray... It is, our hearts, it is our desire for our longings to be joined with the longings of God so that we might enter into his, into his tender care for us. I like the way Timothy Stafford says it. Here, I believe, is the key to understanding what is most personal in prayer. We do not pray to tell God what he does not know or to remind him of things he has forgotten. He already cares for the things we pray about. He has simply been waiting for us to care about them with Him. Now, is that not a beautiful definition of prayer? God has simply been waiting for us to care about them with Him. When we pray, we stand by God and look with Him towards those people and problems. When we lift our our eyes from them to Him, we do so with loving praise just as we look towards our oldest and dearest friends and tell them how much we care for them, though they already know it. We speak to him as we speak to our most intimate friends so that we can commune together in love. And so this is what prayer is. It is friendship with Jesus. It's coming before Jesus, not needing to fill them in on every little thing or to, or to comment on how the weather is, but we just get right bound to business with your friend, right? You can talk about the most heartfelt issues and there's no worry that this person's going to judge you or look down on you. They're, they're, they're your best friend. And so we pour out our hearts and we know that that person cares for us. But you know what? Even to your best friend, it's sometimes good to tell that person how much you care for them, or to hear, it's good to hear from them how much they care for you. And then as we express all of these things, we can do as Stafford says here, we can commune together in love with the Father. Now what if we really approached our times of prayer like this? I believe God would honor those kind of prayers. I believe that those are the type of prayers that lead us as a church to experience just in special, intimate ways God's presence and His power among us. And for us to then be built up and feel satisfied as we sense His love and care towards us. You see, this is why prayer is such a special and wonderful thing. We're connecting with our Lord. And that's why we really want, as Pastor and Steve and I have talked about this, this is our heart's desire for us to be a church, a fervent prayer, because there is so much richness in this. And so we pray with humility, we pray with honesty, and the third thing is we pray with hard work. Now we talk about all the benefits and how wonderful this is, but that does not mean it is easy. Prayer, as any of us have known that have tried to really be people of prayer, it's hard. It takes discipline, it takes perseverance, it takes intentionality. It is much easier to stay at home on Wednesday night than to come together and pray as a church. It's much easier to sleep in on Sunday morning than to come and to pray for the things that will be happening uh, throughout today. But Jesus is calling us to the hard work of prayer. He told his disciples, uh, uh, this is Luke 18.1, Then Jesus told his disciples that they should pray pray and not give up. And so to pray the hard work of prayer. The hypocrite, it's not so hard. The rewards are immediate and they are tangible. Jesus says that they have already received their reward in full because they get all the recognition of people around them. But for us, we pray with a different motivation. And so the rewards are not so tangible or immediate. And oftentimes it takes hard work. We must persevere in these things but it's worth it and so we continue to pray and so here's my application right now i'll have another application before we're done but let me just pause with one application and ask you ask you to ask yourself what is god calling you to do to be a person of prayer is he calling you to set aside time to pray with the church with your family with your spouse Is he calling you to wake up early in the morning so that you can commit your day to the Lord in prayer or maybe to set aside time before you go to bed to review the day and just to pray over it? But how is God calling you to pray? And it's not easy. It's always going to take sacrifice. Prayer is hard work. And sometimes as Christians, we pray for big stuff like God's power and His presence, and we pray for revivals. Did you know that every revival throughout history, if you look back on the church history books, every one of them have started with prayer, and it could be an individual or a small group of people. In fact, our conference was started by three men joining together, coming together to pray could be a whole church that comes together and they commit themselves to pray. But God honors these prayers and so we do the hard work of prayer. And it's not only hard work because it takes intentionality and perseverance, but it's also hard work because prayer is engaging in spiritual warfare. Did you know that? That when we pray, we are engaging with things that are unseen And it's not just the Father that's involved, but I guarantee you when we pray, Satan will come and attack. Paul says in Ephesians 6, Finally be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's our battle. And so then he goes on, he describes the armor of the Lord, and he closes by saying, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's uh, people. So in other words, keep on praying, keep persevering, pray and do not give up. Now, I I know it sounds kind of weird, but sometimes I can tell if we are on the right track as a church, if I can sense the Satan's opposition. There's times where you can just sense, okay, yes, the devil's at work here. He's trying to cause division he's trying to stir us up and whenever that happens you know I get on my knees and I pray and I seek to try to make sure that the devil doesn't get a foothold but part of me just has a tingle of joy within my heart because I think okay we're on the right track the devil's scared he's ready to attack and when I look at our church right now I think we're on the right track And that's because we are seeking to be a church of fervent prayer. And so I'm looking forward to coming together here on Wednesday night. All of us to come together and to pray. Imagine what God might do. I'm looking forward to us continuing to pray together because this is the right track. God wants us to lift our concerns up to Him. Ever since Pastor Rick retired... I've had one verse that just kind of keeps coming to mind over and over again. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It was a verse I memorized as a young Christian. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. And I just find myself wanting to uh, pray that, that uh, in a sense, using that as a, as a form of prayer. God I trust in you. Direct our paths. Help me not to lean on my own understanding. And this idea of trust seems to be the theme that keeps coming up over and over again. In fact, as I studied for this sermon, it just seems that every point here is really a point of God teaching us to trust in Him. Humility in prayer is learning to trust God because I realize I can't do it on my own. And honesty in prayer is learning to trust God because I have to admit that I can't do it on my own. And hard work in prayer is learning to trust God over the long haul and against the evil one. But you know what? Even before I made those connections, when I first sat down to to, uh, prepare this sermon this week, I put a question before the Lord. I said, God, what do you want me to say to West Covina Christian Church this upcoming Sunday? And the thing that seemed to come to mind was God was saying prayer is a practice of learning to trust God. And as I've studied it, it seems to be confirmed over and over again. This is what I give us today as a church. For West Covina Christian Church, prayer is a practice of learning to trust God. God is teaching us to trust Him however He may lead us. And part of that means that we pray and we learn to trust Him. And this applies not only for us as a church, but it it applies to all of us individually. Every one of you comes into this sanctuary this morning and there are things going on in your life that I don't know about. And maybe the person sitting next to you doesn't know about. But you know, God knows about them. And some of you come this morning and there are real struggles in work or with your health or with your family or relationships or maybe there are issues with finances or spiritual things things of issues of sin or addiction and my encouragement to you today is to pray in fact we're going to have the Lord's Supper now and when we, when we have the Lord's Supper there is a time of quiet I'm going to encourage you just to pray and as you pray, to trust in the Lord, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Ian e. Bounds says, Ian e. Bounds wrote just a classic on prayer. And he says, trust grows nowhere so readily and richly as in the prayer chamber. And that's what Jesus is teaching us here. This go in your room and lock the door, metaphorically speaking, to go in that prayer chamber, just you and the Lord. And it can be here in the sanctuary, it can be wherever you are at, but this morning we're going to gather around the Lord's Supper, and it is going to be a place where you can enter into the prayer chamber. And as you hold the bread in your fingers or the cup in your fingers, it is a reminder of how much God loves you and He cares for you. And it's an encouragement to pray and to trust in Him. Prayer as a practice of learning to trust God. Let's go before the Lord as we prepare for the Lord's Supper now. In fact, I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. And as they do, I'll just encourage us to quiet our hearts and to uh, prepare our minds and our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper. This is one of the few practices that Jesus asked us to do regularly. He asked, uh, before He ascended into heaven, uh, he, and before He was t- betrayed and turned over to be crucified, He ate the la- a Last Supper with His disciples. And before He left us, He said, Do this in remembrance of Me.